A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. There's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but... God is in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. My mission really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are God's by faith in his son. <laughs> Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 317. That's the victory in the name which is above every name. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law. <laughs> <laughs> right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name. Get out here right now. So put your trust in the sovereign risen king Who doesn't owe you one cotton picking thing And yet he still promises to furnish his disciples But we take what he's created and we turn him into idols I'll never back down, so how can I keep it in? But you'll never see me preaching the sin of TBM Yeah, spirit and truth is worship viewed in this chemistry But, but some are spewing distorted views of the Trinity Hey everybody, welcome to the Master's Dog episode 12. I'm your host, the Evangelical Norm. So today's episode, it ties in a little bit with yesterday's and it's a little different than what we usually get from uh, Saints Unscripted. Actually, the first time I watched this, I thought it was the Faith and Beliefs episode um, and I was like, oh man, I just don't want to do this long of a faith and beliefs uh refuting um but then faith and beliefs came out but they tie in together uh which was kind of interesting so this is going to be a long one again just fair warning <laughs> pack a lunch because uh, there's a lot i actually i'm i'm jumping in kind of late into the video um, I'm not starting from the very beginning, but I didn't, I, I went through and I started trying to kind of, um, cut up into, to clips, but as I was going, I'm like, there's so much here that I want. And the clips were like seven or eight minutes each. And then there was only removing a few seconds in between them. So I'm like, okay, we're just going to buckle up, you know, <laughs> hang on and do this. 
with the length. I'm going to do another one responding to another video, actually, Kwaku, um, off of his channel, uh, probably tomorrow or the next day. And that one I will have to cut up because that's a 40-minute video. If we did that, we're, we're going to be an hour, uh, and we just don't want to do that. So with that all being said, this episode, uh, David has a guest coming in from Skype, a guy named Brett McDonald. He has a YouTube channel called uh, LDS, Truth Cl LDS Truth Claims, which I've never heard of I just now. Um, well, with this video, heard about it, so I haven't even looked at any of his stuff. Maybe something we want to look into. I don't know how, um, if we're actually going to or not. We'll we'll see as we go, and, and I'll look into it. But I don't know what this guy's credentials are. We get nothing. I don't know if he's, you know, got a degree in uh, religious studies or anything. Um, if he... You know, what he is. I'm looking at the description from his YouTube channel. It's just a series of lectures on evidences or something to that effect. So we have no idea what this guy, where he stands. If he's just an average Joe, if he's a, you know, he seems to be a teacher based on what I've seen, but I don't know. So we're going to just run with that. We're just going to consider him an average Joe who has a YouTube channel just like the rest of us. So, um, uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump in here. Oh man, they're already, already going. I got to pause and unmute it. Um, hopefully we don't have to mess too much. So here we go. Uh, David and Brett talking about, uh, the Freemasons and the temple ceremony. So here we go. Obviously a difference between, um, like the endowment ordinance per se. I'm going to back it up just Joseph a little bit. Smith, is that because there are so many specific similarities with Freemasonry in our temple ceremonies, specifically the endowment ceremony, um, Joseph's claim that the ceremony was of divine origin or revealed to him by God, uh, a lot of people assume that must be false. And he must have just plagiarized things from Masonry. What's your take on that? Can you tell me specifically anything the uh, the the ideas that uh, you would say or when you talk to people they say are plagiarized? Well, there's so so there's obviously a difference between um, like the endowment ordinance per se and the presentation of the endowment or just kind of the uh, I mean it is a a, a the, theatrical presentation to a certain extent. And there are a lot of similarities in the theatricality about it, but I think what is more concerning to people are the specific, you know, signs or, or things that we do in the ordinances that concern people. So the things that we say are plagiarized, um, simply stolen from Freemasonry, are the tokens and things where you get word for word. We're talking about verbatim things taken from the Masonic... Uh, ceremony and the LDS endowment so and they talk about that they they hit on these things where um, they they have specific things that are word for word exact and that's an important thing to understand because they're going to try to muddy the water a little bit but we have to understand what we consider plagiarism is things that are taken that are 
exact verbatim word for word if you were a teacher in a class and you got a paper from a, a student and then you went and looked at an article online a it googled it and found an article online where bits and pieces of their uh, report or essay or whatever were word for word verbatim taken from this other article and no references given then we have an issue and then when a teacher would say this is plagiarized this is cheating uh, this is what we're looking at so that's an important thing to note as they get into um, talking about it and actually potentially get into the weeds on that yeah it's, what's, what's really interesting and the reason I asked you that question is that um, it, it I couldn't do this in my presentations but when I talk to folks individually um, I really like to ask questions because um, oftentimes what I find is that maybe they've literally like I don't know read a website or something um, and and so what concerns me is um, is a lack of understanding about both topics both both where the temple came from and masonry mm -hmm. um, and so it's really difficult sometimes to even have a a conversation with with people because um, you're operating so, on different foundations. Uh, totally premises. totally different way right so so for instance why is it do you think that this was not a criticism of the early church so Joseph Smith two months after being elevated to a master mason um does the first endowment in the same place where he was initiated as a mason now why is it do you think that all those early people that went through both because there was tons of crossover um you know the masons got angry at the mormons because too many of them were becoming masons um and that there was a schism for about 100 years there between the the two organizations but um, there was massive amounts of, of church members that were becoming Masons and then also going through Joseph's temple initiation. So, so the question is, the people that were closest to both, um, to both traditions, why is it that they had no concern over the idea of, uh, you know, of, of Joseph presenting his, uh, his endowment? And I would suggest the reason they had no concern, and this concern comes later from people that have really no understanding of either, of either tradition, um, is that Joseph's, Joseph's initiation is clearly a response to masonry. Um, okay, I got to stop it here. Um, one thing, whether or not I have a deep, deep understanding of Freemasonry or Mormonism, really doesn't matter in this situation when we look at the fact that there are specific things that Joseph has taken, um, put in the endowment ceremony that are exact. Okay, this is the key. Things that are exact verbatim taken from the Freemason endowment. I mean, he just said two months after Joseph Smith becomes a master Mason, this shows up in the temple endowment ceremony. Two months and here's the other thing it doesn't matter if anybody then had a problem with it we are looking back on it now and we are going this man who claimed to be a prophet of God is actually taking things and where he says this was a response to masonry this was a Joseph Smith's response and he gets into the the whole issue of this is how Joseph Smith did stuff he took things from around him he almost literally says he took things from around him and he put them in and and claimed to be a prophet 
it doesn't matter if anybody, if nobody had a problem with it. If nobody ever had a problem with it until today, and we look at it and we go, wait, he's taking things that are exact and he's plugging them in over here. That's plagiarism. We deal with that when we look at the uh, the copious amount, excuse me, copious amounts of uh, verbatim, word for word stuff taken from the Book of Isaiah and put into the Book of Mormon. We we see these things. That is what plagiarism is, and they're going to get into some other stuff, and I'm going to let them go, but. I mean, it literally is. It makes no difference whether or not I have a deep, deep understanding or a surface understanding. I understand both. I mean, I was a Mormon for years. I never was a Mason, but I've looked into and studied and dealt with the the two. And I've looked at the endowment ceremony and what's going on in Freeman. And then now, again, today... The similarities are, are mostly gone because those are things that were taken out of the temple ceremony in 1991. And again, they even mentioned that as well. So I'm going to let them keep talking and we'll go from there. But that was really the nature of all of his revelation, right? So think about how we get the book of Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. Book of Abraham, he, he's intrigued by these mummies and, and scrolls that he finds, and boom, he, he produces the book of Abraham. How do we get the book of Moses, and particularly the book of Enoch uh, that we have in our, uh, in our uh, Pearl of Great Price? Well, he's retranslating the Old Testament, and boom, out comes, you know, a, a portion of the book of Enoch. Mm-hmm. So, Similarly, the, it, the same thing happens with the first vision. He has a question about this other thing, and then boom, the restoration yeah. comes from it. So, so the first idea, the first, the first concept is just this, this idea of what, we, what do we mean by revelation? Is, is revelation in our tradition, does it happen that, you know, God, whatever divine being, just shows up on someone's doorstep that has no interest in anything, right? And he's like, here, here it is. Well, in our tradition, that's really not what we see at all. In fact, what we see is this dialogue between humans and and the divine. I, I would point to even the mistakes in our tradition, like the priesthood ban, which was clearly you know a, a, a racist policy because the members of the church were racist. And what did it take to overcome that? Well, it took a large enough portion of people in authority to go to God and really, really get there and, and overturn that. In other words, often people say, why wasn't it immediately struck down? Why didn't God immediately come down and say, this is wrong and you should change it? Well, what we see is that like, we're largely left on our own to a large extent, mm-hmm. and that includes people in authority, includes people with prophetic authority. And things come in response to, uh, response to our questions and response to our, our concerns. So, Okay, this is not what is taught about the prophet and Mormonism. What do they always say? God doesn't do anything without letting his, his servants, the prophets, know. But now you're telling me that, well, you know, God didn't really mind that you had it wrong on blacks. So all these years from, you know, a certain point till 1978, all those blacks that were not allowed to hold the priesthood, that were not allowed to go through and do the things that, that, that they were supposed to do, God just was like, eh, well, you know, they're wrong. But I'm just going to let this happen until enough of them have a concern that they come to me and we 
But, well, that's not what it was. It was supposedly a revelation given to Spencer W. Kimball. It wasn't in response to a bunch of people coming and going, oh, we think this is wrong. Supposedly, it was Spencer got a revelation. So now you're, you, you are literally contradicting exactly what Mormonism has always taught. This is not what I thought, what I was taught when I was a Mormon. I mean, the 14 fundamentals of the prophet. The prophet is, is not able to lead the people astray. The prophet, when the prophet speaks, the thinking has been done. This is, this is actually absolutely a contradiction to what is taught. And it is, again, you are literally nullifying Joseph Smith's prophetic gifting by making these statements. What kind of God would let a hundred and some years go by before he corrected the problem? And then as you talk about Joseph Smith retranslating the Old Testament, which was wrong and was never released, and you've got a little footnotes in this and that, but then boom, the book of Abraham or the book of Enoch, and, and he's got these facsimiles, and he turns them into the book of Abraham, and then turns out he's completely wrong on what these facsimiles said. He literally, we have these things, and he put down there, this is what this means, this is what this means, this is what this means, and then we have Egyptologists that goes, he was wrong. And now you're coming back going, well, you know, yeah, he was wrong, but this is why, and, and it, it's ridiculous. Joseph Smith, either, either he lives up to the test of a prophet in Deuteronomy, or he doesn't, and he doesn't. And every one of these videos that they release proves that he doesn't but then they're going well yeah it really doesn't matter it really doesn't matter if he got these things wrong because you're dealing with a god who can't who, who gets things wrong you're dealing with a god who is not omniscient you're dealing with a god who is continuing to progress you're dealing with a god who is not um, omnipresent who is not omni omnipotent you're dealing with a god who is not a God you're dealing with a God who is a fabrication of Joseph Smith's imagination um, again that's a long answer but I think it goes to the very thesis of revelation if people are saying you know the the, the temple ordinance needed to come out of a, a lightning bolt and, and not be in response to anything, well that's just incorrect according to everything we see in the tradition so the first answer is look Nobody close to the situation had a concern with this, and the reason reason for that is because um, this is how this is the world they operated in. They understood Joseph to be um, getting these things based on his experience with other traditions, and so clearly our endowment to me, when I see it, is a response to masonry, not a copy of it. So, what does that mean? A response to masonry not a copy of it it literally is a copy of it in certain places it literally copies masonry what does that mean it's well, it's not a it's it's a response to it not a copy of it joseph smith was supposed to be a prophet and all these things were supposed to be coming from god these were this is what he said and now you're saying that it's not what he said so he didn't claim to be a prophet. He was just a guy that was getting some stuff from different traditions and putting them together and making it, but then claiming to be a prophet. You can't have it both ways. You can't. So, for example, we, there are some identical features. Uh, five points of fellowship, for example. Um, others are the symbol of the compass and the square you'll see in both traditions. 
And then there's similarities in what I would call ritual style. And I list a ton of those in presentations that I go through. I won't go through all of them, but things like you know using a set script, um, imparting signs, grips, uh, passwords to initiates. So those are similarities in ritual style, but we don't see exact similarities. There's very few, in fact, exact similarities. Um, uh, two of the grips are exact similarities. Symbol of the company square I mentioned um, has it a name. There's some specific wordings that is. And then there's a lot of similarities in style. But then the, the, the two traditions really separate really dramatically. Um, you know, if you know about masonry, it's all about a murder of a particular person, right? Our ritual drama is about the creation of the world and, and, um, and morality of, of humans and covenants to, to God. So, Okay, but that's the nature of plagiarism. A plagiarist doesn't just take the entire thing. It wouldn't do any good to take the entire, you know, Hiram Abiff and everything else that is involved in, in the Masonic thing and saying, here we go, we're going to put it in. And then they're both exactly the same. It's the nature of plagiarism is that you take some things and you mix in some other stuff and you try to present it as your own while still taking from somebody else. That's the nature of plagiarism. An actual plagiarist doesn't just go, here, you know, I'm... I'm Hey, guess what? I wrote this book about uh, a little dude who's who's not quite as big as regular dudes, and and then some other little dudes that are different species of this little dude came to his house, and and they all decided because this big wizard dude uh, was going to send them on an adventure, and he can put them together, and they went off, and they they went to a mountain, they killed a dragon named Smog, and blah blah blah. If I just came with that and and you know crossed out the Hobbit and J.R.R. Tolkien. And wrote in um, the halfling by Norm A. Dunham, and just said, "Here, it's not." But if I go in and I start stealing snippets of and and exact phrases and exact names and and things like that, and putting them in and then presenting it, that's when it becomes plagiarism. The first situation is just sheer stupidity. To try to think that I could pass off, uh, you know, Joseph or <laughs> Joseph, J.R. Tolkien's uh, masterpiece, The Hobbit, as my own, but if I take little bits and pieces, I mean, that's the, I mean, Flame and Katy Perry just had this big lawsuit where he won and she took portions of his song, but she didn't take the whole song and try to pass it off as her own, but she took enough of it that a judge said, "You stole from him, you need to pay him." Joseph Smith took just enough of the Freemason initiation ceremony and put it in his uh, endowment ceremony to show that it literally was plagiarism. He took just enough of the ideas from the late war or any, any of these other things that he may have had access to or whatever, but there's enough similarities and, and things put into to go, there's a case for plagiarism here. You know, and then, of course, the whole issue of taking verbatim, word for word, from uh, the King James Version of Isaiah, including translation errors made on the part of King James scholars, and yet supposedly doing this under the premise of revelation from God, and God didn't correct those things? Herein lies the problem. 
It, you're, you're trying to twist what is the nature of plagiarism into something because, well, you know, there are these exact things and then there are some very similar things, but then there are some things that are completely different. And so that makes it to where it wasn't plagiarized. That's ridiculous. Again, any teacher who goes, oh, you've got a bunch of these word-for-word -word things and you're not giving credit to the article that you stole them from, and then you've got all these other things that are very similar, but maybe just a little word changed here and there, and then you've got enough some other stuff over here that's completely different, doesn't change the fact that it was plagiarized from the beginning. Um, so I just, again, I, w I would ask people if they're dealing with these things, first to understand both traditions a little bit more, um, to understand the nature of Revelation a little bit more. And then really what I get into is um, Joseph Smith makes very specific... The nature of Revelation is this. Deuteronomy 18. If a man presumes to speak in the name of the Lord and that thing does not come to pass, then you shall not fear him. Revelation from God is simply that. It is revelation unmistakable, unmistaken, God does not make mistakes. If you have a God that makes mistakes, that is not God. And it's not a God worth following. Specific claims about the, the endowment. He says these things were had agently. They were had before Jesus was on earth. He says that Jesus had them and gave them to his earliest followers. Um, and we can now test that based on findings of ancient documents that we have um, throughout the world, including the Nag Hammadi and other Gnostic texts. So what I do is I say, look, if Joseph, again, take the critical point of view. Okay. Now, supposedly, if Joseph Smith gave these things of the endowment and stuff like that to his earliest followers, why do we have no record of that biblically? We see none of Joseph Smith's weddings or baptisms for the dead or any of those things, Old, New Testament, anywhere. We don't see he's going to give an example of Cyril of Jerusalem, 4th century, 300-something A.D., um, and some things of an anointings the way, and, and, he, and actually there's some, some sketchy stuff in that too, but none of the actual endowment ceremony. We see nothing where there are uh, theatrical presentations of anything in any temple ceremony. Um, Old or New Testament. Nothing. None of this is, is had anciently. We, I mean, masonry goes back to the 1500s, the 14th or 15th century, somewhere in there. 1516, somewhere. I don't remember the exact date. I think they give a date here. Um, but none of that goes back any further. Doesn't go back to Solomon's temple like it was initially thought that it did. Um, and again, and then the examples of the anointings that he gives from, from Cyril of Jerusalem coming up here that seem to be very similar to what happens in the LDS temple. But yet it does none of that goes back to, we don't see any of that, um, male, female, anything going on, any, anywhere back in, in biblical accounts. Joseph is initiated into Freemasonry. He says, I'm going to, again, be, pretend I'm a prophet. Another way I'm going to pretend I'm a prophet is I'm going to, I'm going to steal this. I'm going to add some things, change some things and say, Hey, it's a revelation from God. 
But he's also going to make a very specific claim, which is that these things were had anciently. They were had in Jesus's time. Um, and again, another audacious claim. He makes a ton of audacious claims, right? From Enoch to the Book of Mormon, on and on. He, he's even from the very first start of the Book of Mormon, right? He takes the writings that he uh, copies and he sends them to the scholars to get them translated, right? He initially views himself not as the translator of the Book of Mormon because he had no clue how to translate anything, but as finding a way to get it translated. That is absolutely not true. That's an absolute lie. And I'm looking right at you, Mr. McDonald. That is a lie. Joseph Smith's claim to translate with his face in a hat, but then he took some stuff and he sent it off going, hey, do these look authentic to you? This was not him trying to find a way to translate it. He was translating it. He was trying to show that he might be right, and he was proven wrong. Those things were sent back, and they were rejected by the people that he sent them to. So this is a lie. This is not true. What he's saying is not true. So in the fraud, conspiracy, hoax world that, we live, that we're postulating, he has to be so convinced of this fraud that he's going to make up gold plates, he's going to make up, um, or appearance of gold at least, 40 to 60 pounds, he's going to copy those characters, and he's going to send them to scholars to get them translated. He's so confident in this fraud. So he's a very... Why didn't he send a gold plate? Why didn't, why didn't he actually show some, somebody other than the people who saw them by the eye of faith? Why didn't he show anybody the, 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 the appearance of gold plates? Why didn't, he show, why, didn't, why didn't he have them tested by a metallurgist? Why didn't he do, if this was his, his situation and he was trying to prove, why didn't he do any, oh, that's right, because God told him not to. So, yeah, I mean, in the, excuse me, this postulated world of fraud, this is exactly what Joseph did. This is the nature of plagiarism. You take a little bit of here and you put it with some other stuff and you put it out there and you present it as a revelation from God. And then, again, he talks about all the things Joseph Smith was wrong about, the people who lived on the moon. Yes, Joseph made a lot of audacious claims, and many of them were proven to be false, which by anybody's standards should say this man is not a prophet. I mean, if, if a 15-year-old boy comes to you and gives you nine different versions of the first vision, we don't go, oh, well, that's a prophet. We go, that's a storyteller, and he's lying. He's making it up, and he doesn't remember it from one thing to another. This is what we do, and this, this is what critical thinking forces you to do. If he's a fraud, he's very confident. This is another, another way he's very confident, but another way we can test him, and that's what I do. I go through ancient documents from Alexandria, from onward, onward, and look at specific things um, and test him on it and say, Did, was this had anciently? And we find things, so for example, I read out in the, you know, in, in the class, as late as the fourth century in, in Jerusalem, so this is pretty late, um, I'm gonna read it, this is from 313 AD, so that we're, we're four centuries in, most things, are, the, the church that Jesus had founded, if you wanna say that, had schismed almost immediately, so we're, we're pretty far apart. This is what Cyril of, of Jerusalem, in his lectures, he tells new initiates exactly what will happen after they are baptized. This is what he says. You'll be stripped and you're anointed with, with oil, with blessed oil, from the hairs of your head to your feet. And, and then he tells them exactly how this is happen, 
how it will happen. The ointment is symbolically applied to your forehead and your other senses. And while your body is anointed with the visible ointment, your soul is sanctified by the holy and life-giving spirit. You are first anointed on your forehead that you might be delivered from the shame of the first man that transgressed, then on your ears that you might receive the ears that are quick to hear, then on your nostrils, then on your breast. He, He's talking about exactly what we do if you have been through the washing and anointing and they're doing this as late as the fourth century okay he keeps saying as late as the fourth century why would why do we not find anything as early as the first century why don't we find anything previous to the first century why don't we find any of this anywhere in the bible why and then here's the problem that he has with the Cyril of Jerusalem, because I looked it up and went. He starts out with portion from lecture number 20, and then the rest of it comes from lecture 21. He does not give the references. He does not give ellipses, ellipses which David had an issue with on the plagiarism stuff and, and so on. So he's taking these things from these far apart places, and he's chunking them together and trying to convince you that this is all one thing and all one ceremony and all one endowment, washing, anointing, whatever. These come from two completely different lectures, not to be not put together like this. These come from two separate things. One is dealing with baptism. One is dealing with anointing. So here, here again, this is the problem that I have with this stuff, is they give you deception, they give you these little things, and they're doing exactly what Joseph did, and then they're trying to pass it off as evidence. Jerusalem. So uh, the, the, the levels of response would, would, would go through that, that type of, uh, type of uh, pattern, right? Understand the nature of Revelation, and why the initial people that were going through had no problem with it, because they understood the dialectic nature of, of Revelation. Understand Joseph made then very bold claims that we can now test, and then test those claims. Look at this ancient stuff, and and see point by point, was he, was he right? Is he being proven right hundreds of years now later when they didn't have access to this stuff? Um, so again, that's a, a more general. We can go into more specifics, but but definitely it's a response to masonry. We don't have to shy away from that. We shouldn't. Um, it has lots of similar styles, but only very few actually particulars that are the exact same. And then we can test this stuff and see if it's actually of ancient origin. Earlier we looked at the question, why didn't the early... Okay, we're 34 minutes in here. And uh, so I'm going to break this into two parts. I'm, I'm just going to... I'm going to have to. I don't want to go on there still... 12 11 some minutes left of their video and there's some other stuff that we're going to go so i'm going to i'm going to end this now pick it up again in episode 13 um we'll go on from there but again this is you have a man named joseph smith that made up a lot of stuff and they, they freely admit, as we get into this next portion of it, they freely admit Joseph made a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, they don't address the changes to the Book of Mormon. But here is a man that made audacious claims, and many of those audacious claims are proven wrong. And they're trying to go, well, it's because he was wrong in some places. It really, really val validates his, his uh, gifting and, and call as a prophet. That is, that's ridiculous. You know, it just feels like, again, they're they're piling on this stuff, and 
and burying the the I'm, I can't even describe what it is that they're doing but there it I mean it is literally just an art of deception of twists and turns and and so on to to distract you from what is the fact of the matter that LDS endowment ceremony is highly influenced and in many por in portions actually plagiarized from Freemasonry's initiation ceremony. Again, nowhere in in ancient religious temple anything uh, do we find theatrical presentations, whether it's of the the creation of the world or the murder of Hiram Abiff. Nowhere. Nowhere in early church history, nowhere in, in Jewish tradition do we find this. We find it in Freemasonry and Mormonism. We find it in the connection there that Joseph was a master mason. I mean, these things are, are obvious. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're trying to spray, um, you know, air freshener on a turd and convince you that it's a pine tree. No, it's simply not true. And so we'll pick this up again um, tomorrow, the next day, somewhere, and then we'll we'll deal with Kwaku um, and his his friend and their mocking of Lynn Wilder as we get there. So uh, thanks for watching. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. Thirty seven minutes in. I hope you're still here with me. Um, I hope you haven't just shut everything off and and walked away to get a sandwich. But um, if you're still here, thank you for hanging in there. As always. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm -hmm.